the Driven Women's Guide to Love, Life, and Business. Hosted by the boss ladies Alex and Gabby. Combined, their network gathers an array of women from various industries who exemplify strength and tenacity. Their fun and positive approach to life will awaken the boss in you. You're listening to Girls Gone Boss. Welcome to another episode, everyone. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited for this one because I know you. Are. everyone knows we're so into our wine. I know. Well, you I, can't I miss be. Wine. Yeah, I miss wine. I'm pregnant, so you know. I miss one it. day you'll yeah, be back soon. in action soon. Um, but go so. ahead and introduce our guest. So Amy is here today with us to answer all of our very boozy questions. Hi, Amy. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course, we are so excited to talk to you. So we've been looking for someone to talk to. That's you have to. You have to correct me. A sommelier. It's French, so it's right. So <laughs> is it, it French? It is French. It basically means a steward of wine. And yes, I am a sommelier. Sommelier. So sommelier. I have to, sommelier. You okay. have to add yes. the If it is, if if you're talking female in French, it is sommelier. But we all just say sommelier. Okay, got it. So I'm definitely going to butcher that later in the, <laughs> at some point. But that's okay. Sounds good. So, can right. you explain? To her, like, so, okay, so explain to our listeners, like, all the many hats that you actually wear, wear as the beverage director and assistant GM for Kimpton. Because you do a lot of different things. It's true. Um, it's rare to find uh, just the singular path, as it were, just being a steward of wine in this uh, lovely career world and budgets and, and hospitality. But also, I'm just a huge... Uh, fan of hospitality in general. So I do enjoy having uh, a few different hats. Um, the Epic has definitely been epic. Um, Kimpton's Epic Hotel in Miami has been uh, a very um, good experience for that. I am the uh, AGM of Food and Beverage here, uh, specializing as beverage director as well. Uh, so I'm the right hand to the food and beverage director for the hotel. I run the management team as well as making sure that our uh, beverage is up to snuff, working as basically a bar manager as well, leading my lead bartender, making sure that we are keeping up with uh, Kimpton requirements. Um, hotels always have some requirements as far as beverage because we have some pretty fantastic national partners, as well as uh, being able to play with about 50% of the playing field on my own, which is where the fun part comes in for me as I specialize in being a part of the wine community as well and really love that. So it's about hospitality. It's about perpetuating generosity, checking in with the staff, making sure the managers are supported, making sure our beverage program is supported and making sure that the hotel and food and beverage side get along beautifully. I love it. Okay, but I didn't even know the role of a sommelier. Did I say it right? Sommelier, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I thought was fascinating. I was like, if I would have known that role existed, I would have totally knocked down the career I have and I would have just went that way because it just sounds so exciting to be kind of like the expert in like wine, right? Or can you explain exactly what it is to be a sommelier? Absolutely. So these days there are multiple ways. So I have uh, some of some of the greatest experts in our field uh, aren't even certified uh, sommeliers. Certification came into play uh, in the U.S. anyway in the 70s. 
Um, however, it really started taking off, um, I would say, late 90s and into uh, the 2000s. And we have multiple certifications here in the U.S. The most, um, the one that you remember probably from uh, Psalm, um, as you may know that film, they now have three. Uh, that concentrates on the Court of Master Sommeliers. And the Court of Master Sommeliers is really wonderful for hospitality professionals because it takes you through not only, and it's a lot of self-discipline, by the way, a lot of self-discipline, a lot of self-study, a lot of self-guidance. Luckily, we find our mentors and we do have a lot of mentors in the industry now, which is great, um, as well as some great resources online, as well as books. And um, like I said, mentors to uh, take us through these self-guided tours, as it were, of the wine world, um, which is massive. It is a lot of information to memorize. And uh, as far as the certifications, they rate you on theory. So you remember those good old written college exams. Um, This takes it to a whole new level, as well as uh, service. So you need to be polished as far as wine service and being able to talk to wine service as well as your wine list and pairings. Uh, They throw down the gauntlet um, in these certifications. And then tasting. Uh, You need to be able to taste and deduce uh, where wines are from, uh, all the way soil types, vintages, varieties, uh, all of that. So it's pretty intense. Um, very intense. And then there are other certifications as well, WSET being one of them, Wine and Spirits Education Trust. A little bit more academic, uh, but still extremely and extremely difficult. To become a master of wine takes um, an incredible, all of this takes an incredible amount of discipline, hard work, dedication, and a little bit of talent in there as well. Um, But you for sure just need to have a love of it. See, the sommelier on a daily basis, uh, in the job world anyway, um, takes all of this knowledge and has this foundation, uh, but then we're all about relating to the guests, making sure that we're keeping our beverage programs in check, making sure that if we're managing sommeliers uh, as well, making sure that everyone's on the same page and supporting each other and uh, feeling empowered, uh, as well as uh, making sure that all of our wines are in place and there aren't any 86s and our staff is trained and there are a lot of, lot of, lot of aspects involved in the uh, sommelier and wine director position. So how do you carry a balanced spirits and wine list for the hotel? Because there has to be some type of balance there. Absolutely. Uh, so with our hotel, um, you know, it is a global wine list, which is nice because it gives us some flexibility to play with all parts of the world. Uh, it's also getting some experience as far as what the guest is looking for. We have a lot in Miami. We have a lot of uh, Latin America as well as uh, Spanish residents here, and they do love to lean towards South American wines, particularly Chile and Argentina. And uh, also Spain uh, and Portugal uh, playing a bigger role here and there. So I do tend to have quite a few of those wines on the list as well because people do ask for them. And there are a lot of great examples out in the world. And then I play with the rest of the world as well. So California, 
Washington, Oregon, um, Finger Lakes and, you know, uh, New York. We also have um, European wines and um, a nice little champagne list as well. Uh, so playing with all regions in the world, but um, with a few concentrations here and there. What's your favorite region? Mm, that's hard to say. It's like, is, it, is it like choosing your favorite child? Like you that is that is that is an analogy. That is not the first time I've heard that analogy. Yes, it's almost like, yeah, it's almost like being a chef and choosing your. I mean, everyone has their favorite food, I suppose, or their you know last meal. And um, you know, mine would probably be it, oysters. Would definitely be involved in there, and uh, Chablis and Champagne would definitely have a big part in that as well. Okay, so that's definitely so. So besides. That's your favorite food and wine combo, basically? Yeah, that's a great... Okay, say that again. It's oysters and what? Because I need to try this. Oysters and Chablis. Chablis. What is that? Is that that like a red or white? No, it has to to be a white. Chablis is a white, yes. Okay. It is is from the the, uh, Chablis region of France, which is the northernmost part of uh, Burgundy, basically. Okay. Uh, it is just north of, of Burgundy and just south of Champagne. It is a beautiful, um, cool, very cool climate, uh, Chardonnay primarily region. They do grow some Pinot Noir as well, but uh, Pinot Noir isn't as uh, exported as Chablis. So if I was to go to a restaurant and I order oysters, I'd be like, hi, can I have oysters, please? And some Chablis. They'll, they'll understand me, right? I won't look crazy. You will not look crazy. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I'm about to do that. <laughs> and most of most and people they, will have it, right? It, and the beautiful thing is if there's a sommelier on staff, they will absolutely recommend the appropriate Chablis and or steer you in maybe even another direction. Maybe they'll take you to Muscadet. Maybe they'll take you to uh, Northern California. Who knows? It depends what their, what their tastes are as well. If you leave the door open, they'll take you on an adventure. Oh, I'm so excited. I was telling Gabby that one of my friends took the, I don't know if it's the abbreviation, it's W-S-E-T, or how do you, is that just the abbreviation how you say it, or does it have like a, a short word for What is it? that, a certification? Yeah, Education Trust for Wine and Spirits. Uh, wine, and, wine and Spirits Education Trust, yeah. Yeah, so she took that the cl- the course, and I was so jealous. Oh, very and good. I really wanted to do it, and I, w- I looked into it, but then I got pregnant, so I was like, okay, I'll wait. Till next year. <laughs> How long does that take? Yeah. Uh, you know, it just depends on your time. Um, as far as going through the initial certifications, you can hammer those out pretty quickly if you have the base knowledge. Uh, but if you're taking courses, um, you know, the, the certifications themselves take some time as well as, um, you know, you know, using your study skills and, and finding the exam, the right exam times. So that can take, you know, three months, that three to six months for each one. But um, it can also take, you know, a month, depending on how dedicated and how many courses they're offering. And then diploma course, you have the first diploma and second diploma uh, courses. And um, you'll, those will take a few, that takes a few years. Awesome. Right. Yeah. There's like different levels. So yeah, for anybody. And once you pass, once you pass diploma, then you can 
then you can start moving toward uh, becoming a master of wine if that's, of course, if you're interested. There you go, Gabby. Now you know what you need yeah. to do to change your Well, I want to know too, like, okay, aside from white oysters and, and Chablis, like, okay, what would we do with like a red wine? Like, what do you mean? So, it absolutely depends. There are many different styles of red wine. Um, I tend to gear toward m- more refreshing red wines, but a lot of people like uh, them their wines to be a little heavier, a little heartier, a little richer, a little more robust, um, maybe a little bit more tannin, uh, uh, probably slightly high. They tend to be slightly higher alcohol too, um, often like your big California cabs can be uh, can rate a little bit higher on the alcohol scale, but that also really heightens those juicy, you know, dark fruit aromas. Um, I tend to like my wines to be a little bit more on the refreshing side, maybe not as oak, um, as oaked, maybe not as much tannin and, um, you know, beautiful, bright acidity, more food pairing wines for me. Um, I tend to, when I drink wine, I tend to, I always like to have it with food. So um, it's just my my nature, but um, it's not for everyone. <laughs> um, but in the world, food and wine goes together very well. And lighter red. And it should. Yeah. <laughs> I think people are just trying yeah. to get lit and they just yeah. do it just by itself. <laughs> well, my favorite wine right. is um, the McMurray Pinot Noir. That's my oh. my favorite so far. I, I what is the name? McMurray. Mcmurray. Oh, very good. Yeah. Yeah. McMurray. Absolutely. Yeah. So I I had the honor to meet um, Miss McMurray, the daughter of the the founder who wasn't. Yeah, that's Fred. Yes. Um, She was awesome. She gave us a private tour for our honeymoon. Oh, so you did make it to the property. I did. I made it to the property and my, my friends actually got engaged on the property and I got to film it. So it was really cool. And then that's when I just fell in love with the wine there. And that is, I mean, when it really comes down to it, we can talk food and wine pairings, you can talk regions, you can talk favorite wines, you can talk all of that. But one of the beautiful things for me as far as being in wine is the community, the experiences uh, that wine brings. Um, It brings people together. It brings people into a food and wine experience. You know, you're in a, you're often in a really wonderful environment um, you know, places like McMurray Ranch or, you know, uh, a lot of other uh, gorgeous, you know, one of my, one that comes to mind for me is like Maya Kamas um, is one of the most beautifully situated properties in Napa and the views from there are stunning and the wines that I've had on that mountain are, you know, incredible. Uh, and, you know, it's hard not to remember those moments when you open a bottle uh, and it's hard for those not to become your favorite because there is a story behind yeah. it and there isn't and there is an experience and you know it feeds your passion and and feeds your soul in a lot of ways right you can never go wrong with good wine you can't what are your tips for at-home menu pairings i'm sorry what are your tips for at-home menu pairings for at-home menu pairings um, you know, in the, I, I definitely believe that when you're, I don't know if you're working from cookbooks or if you're working with, um, you know, particular ingredients and where they're coming from. But one of the things that I always talk about is, uh, what grows together goes together. So if you think about regions of say cheeses, 
um, and you are, you know, you have a couple of really good goat cheeses incorporated into your dishes. You know, think about think about wines from you know regions in in France that you know have a lot of uh, goat cheese uh, coming out of those areas. So you think of the Loire, and you think of you know Chenin Blanc, or you think of uh, Sauvignon Blanc, or in Sancerre, um, you know these farmlands that uh, also pair uh, really great foods with their wines, and uh, you know. Think about the characteristics of the wines themselves. Maybe, you know, taste the wine. If you know the wine, then you know some of the flavors that you're picking up. What do you want to complement in your food? Um, If it's a high acid wine, you probably want something that is either rich that needs the acid to cut through it, or you want something that also has a little bit of acid to complement that acidity nice and bright and bright. Um, But for me, I like to think of it as an extra ingredient. So when I'm cooking, and I'm adding herbs and spices and citrus and things along that line. I think of my wines as an extra ingredient. Is it a, a peppery Syrah that I'm putting with a, a rack of lamb, for instance? And, you know, that peppery, bright red fruit aspect that's going to complement, you know, maybe I'm putting a little, you know, fresh cherries with my, with my rack of lamb or working with some sort of chutney, um, and knowing that that's going to complement a certain flavor in the wine as well. Uh, these are the ways that I think about food and wine pairing in general. Um, champagne always goes well with salty snacks, you know, for the most part. Champagne tends to be bright, you know, high acid, um, a little bit of dosage. So you get a nice little fruitiness to it as well. And uh, the salt tends to calm down the acidity a little bit and start to play with the flavors in the wine as well. Uh, so things along that line are, are how I like to think about wine pairing. Some good tips. Yeah. And usually I think about what I order and off the top of my head, I love me a good Sauvignon Blanc. Like, I don't know what it is about Sauvignon Blanc that it's just so clean and I don't like them to be like too bitter or too like, you know what I mean? I just like them to be really like soft. And I feel like a Sauvignon is, it's, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's so clean. Yeah. No, Sauvignon Blanc is a very clean, um, you know, it has a lot of uh, pyrazines, as we say, which is kind of that um, that fresh... Uh, yes, it makes me feel pepper, super fresh. pepper-like aspect. Very fresh, very bright. Um, and if you go, you know, if you go with a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc in particular, it's going to be almost like a, a slap of freshness, so to speak. Um, <laughs> right. So I should <laughs> always choose that, the New know, Zealand, also, right? Yeah, a lot of people do. They love the acidity. They love that gooseberry. The the British also call it, and this may not be terribly, you know, uh, appealing to some people, but they tend to like the um, the cat pee aspect of New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, which is pretty funky. Love it. So let's take our listeners into like a scenario, right? We're at a restaurant. We're trying, maybe we're on a date or with our husband and we're trying to impress him or her or whatever. And, um, we just kind of want to like pretend we're wine connoisseurs. Like we're not going to be totally lost. I'm totally going to throw in the Chablis thing. But I know that there's like etiquette that comes with just ordering wine, receiving the bottle, like the the waiter comes, shows you the name, like and you have to look at it, pretend, you know, can no. you, yeah, can you like run us through that kind of like wine connoisseur um, 
journey. And so that way we're, we'll feel more comfortable next time we go and order some wine. Absolutely. Uh, so I hope that the wine service is up to snuff, um, that they will be presenting the bottle to you. Uh, and they will be, uh, you know, making sure that the vintage is correct, all of that. You don't need to eyeball it too closely. Just listen to what they have to say and uh, allow them to open it. When they pour a taste into the glass, generally just bring it, bring it towards you and give it a little bit of a swirl. You can do that by putting your fingers at the bottom of the glass, and they're usually in stems. Uh, and just give it a little bit of a turn or pick it up and turn it with your just a little flick of the wrist uh, to get the wine to open up a little bit. And then just put your nose into the glass to make sure that the wine isn't flawed. You don't want to you don't want to smell any mildew, wet dog, um, you know, any aromas that are going to put you off. Um, now, I'm not talking about earthy necessarily. I mean, they're going to be mushroomy, fresh turned earth. Uh, wines out there that maybe at first the fruit isn't quite popping out, but that's why we give it the swirl because that gives it a little, it releases those aromas. And then you're just going to put your nose in there and make sure it doesn't smell bad. And then you will nod at your waiter and say, that's great. And then they will, you can also taste it to make sure that you like the taste. Uh, But I generally am just looking for flaws when as a wine connoisseur, that's generally what we do. We swirl the wine, we make sure it doesn't smell bad. And then we, okay, you know, allow the, allow the server to pour. So no and shame that, in sending uh, well, the wine back. Yeah. What, what if we don't like the taste? We just like, nope. And then they'll go and get another bottle. So they will, uh, will they'll ask you what, uh, what is putting most likely. They might be asking you what, what's putting you off. Um, what do you smell that you don't like? Or what do you taste that you don't like? Uh, and then uh, they're going to find out what kind of, hopefully they've already asked you questions unless you just ordered point blank without asking any questions of the sommelier or the server. They will have already figured out your palate. Um, that's one of the fun parts of being a sommelier is asking those questions and taking you down the lane of what do you like to drink at home? What kind of flavors do you like in wine? And that way it gives us a more educated um view of what we'll choose for you, um, as well as, of course, staying within the price point. There's no, there's no shame in that, um, that you don't want to spend over a certain amount and that you generally like to drink, you know, whatever whatever you like to drink, whether it's La Crema, Pinot Noir at home, or you really enjoy, you know, a Cru Beaujolais, um, then they're going to get an idea of what kind of wines you like, and they'll be able to make a great few recommendations. And, uh, and then if you don't like it, then they're going to probably give it one more college try. And then if you don't like that, then I just, I don't know, you might be just too hard to figure out and we'll have to go by the glass. (laughs) Got it. So I have a question, another question, just to stay on the topic of like, uh, wines and picking the right one. Let's say you're at the store, uh, grocery store and you want to pick one over the counter. Um, and which ones, let's say a white and a red, which one would you con- consider or like um, recommend, I guess? Or how should we go about like, What picking? are your favorites that yeah, we like, can find at the supermarket? Yeah, because like sometimes I look at the prices and I'm like, okay, I should go with the ones that are more expensive. Like usually like, I don't know, 25 to 18 to 25. I don't know, because I'm not trying to go that much more. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good price. But, right. you know, then, then there's some really good ones that are like $5. And you're like, hey. Trader Joe's, what's up? 
Yeah, what's up? So uh, maybe not, huh? <laughs> Amy's <laughs> like, I don't know about five dollar wine. It depends on how the place is pricing everything out as well. I mean, there are some there are some businesses that are going to price wines to to drive, uh, and then they are depending on that for maybe a percentage of sales. They can take a teeny bit of a loss on them because of either they're trying to move through those wines or, or yes, or they may have just received them at a very extremely inexpensive price and they can sell them for a very inexpensive price. Um, I generally don't, uh, I don't generally trust a whole lot that's going to be, you know, under 10 bucks. Um, it's, you know, you find the occasional few. It also depends on your palate. You know, I mean, I might be just pickier than other people because I have developed my palate over time. And it's not, it doesn't make me a snob. It just makes me, I just know what I'm looking for. And I'm also thinking about farming practices and vineyard management and bottle cost and all of the business that goes behind it. So if I'm getting a bottle of wine that's only $5, then I'm thinking, Okay, so they spent how much on the glass, most likely, and then they also had to pay for labeling it. So the fact that they spent like maybe a maybe a dollar to you know fill this up with wine makes me a little nervous about where the where the grapes were grown, uh, how they were how they were managed. Um, you know, there's a lot that goes on. Maybe you know I might be an overthinker. That, no, that's no, that good. Total sense. Wait, now I'm yeah. gonna be like, forget this. Yeah, <laughs> it's the same with food. Like, where are they? Like, yeah. you know, growing yeah. it. How? I are... mean, it is absolutely. I mean, if you're getting you're getting these like little bites, and you know, somebody's trying to to drive uh, something, they're making it up with you know maybe the cost of a glass of wine, or or they're just trying to get customers in the door. Understood. But you know, we still have to make our food and beverage costs at the end of the day. So. Oh, this is so um, yeah. interesting because honestly, it's an angle that I'd never thought about. Um, and yeah. so when I'm in the store now, I'm going to be like, mm, let's go to the $25 yeah. line. And we're educating yeah. a lot of people too. That didn't yeah. I mean, I honestly did not know. Um, and, and I know that there's now some like cool gadgets outside of just like print magazines or whatever other, um, like there's apps. Like my friend showed me yeah. an app that you could take a picture and then you could see how much it's rated. Yep. So there are a few out there. Um, you know, the Vino seems to be incredibly, that seems to be the most popular one. I, um, I see a lot of people using that one. Uh, Delectable is also another great, um, another great, sorry, I was just getting another call. Uh, I uh, just got distracted. Sorry. Um, the, the, um, the other apps? The other app, um, Delectable is really great. I really like, uh, I see people using Vivino a lot and I um, think they're both great for what they have. I do like Delectable a teeny bit more, uh, partially because I know that sommeliers did all of the database research on that one. So it is um, incredibly robust and has some, you know, a lot of great information that sommeliers actually um put into that app directly when it was being developed. Uh, a lot of us beta testers out there. And it's also very Instagram-like. You know, it's a kind of a social media 
of uh, of wine apps as well. That's cool. What about subscriptions? That was a lot of fun. And like, or magazines, like for those that are just enthusiasts or we're passionate about it. Do you want to learn more about it? But like, I know there's a lot of like those subscriptions that they send you like a few bottles a month or I don't know how really it works or. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, how, what do you think? A boxy charm of wine? Yeah. I think once again, my, I, I, uh, I am very, I'm a little bit more trusting of the, unless it's a wine club from a winery that I really enjoy. Uh, if you're going to wine clubs that are a uh, global sourcing of, you know, basically retail wine clubs, I tend to really like the ones that are subscription-based that are also sommelier-run. Um, you know, they have a lot of expertise. They know how to run the business. They're also choosing wines that, you know, at the end of the day, they're going to want to drink as well. So if the sommelier is choosing it and they're drinking it at the end of the day, then I probably want to be drinking it as well. I mean, I may not have the same palate as they do, but um, you can definitely look into their selections. Um, They always are very transparent with at least the uh, information uh, about how they're sourcing their wines, what's important to them, and also fine-tuning for um, each individual subscriber. Um, And then you you also can find a lot of those uh, selections through really wonderful retailers in, you know, national retailers who may be based in, say, San Francisco, they may be based closer to wine country there, uh, or, you know, on the East Coast. And, you know, look at what they have as far as, a you know, a, a selection each month. And you can look at past wine box selections and see if it appeals to you. And, you know, it doesn't hurt to try a couple and then figure out which one you like and cut the other one off. Okay. Or maybe you like them both. Who knows? Okay. But you do you do have to take a little bit of a chance. But I tend to like to do my research on why, why they're bringing the wines in that they're bringing. You know, what's important to them? Is it natural wine? Is it farming practices? Is it all of it? Is it winemakers? Is it um, just, you know, really good juice in the bottle that's not too expensive? Um, You know, whatever it is and whatever appeals to you. But it takes a little bit of research. Right. What about like um, our listeners that want to kind of follow in your footsteps? Do you have any advice of what they should do or where they should start? I mean, do you have to go to, you don't, you said you don't have to really like be certified, right? So what footsteps should they take? Well, I'm saying I, I was I was saying that some of my some of my most expert friends in the business who are sommeliers as well they've they haven't been through the certification program. They have worked their way up in the restaurant business and in wine programs. Really fantastic, world renowned you know wine programs that. Um, and it's because they they wanted to study. They wanted it badly enough. They wanted to learn more about wine. They joined tasting groups or started their own tasting groups uh, so that, you know, you can afford to taste a little bit more because each person's bringing a bottle rather than, you know, opening up 10 bottles and then being out, you know, a thousand bucks. It's uh, or maybe not that much, but you know what I mean. Um, but it can be very, it can be very expensive. Um, but if you find the right team of people that are willing to taste wines and talk about wines and, you know, learn about regions and look at maps and, and talk to winemakers and really get to know the community, uh, you know, certifications are great and it's great to have that knowledge, but the true connection to wine really happens through 
for the most part, it's very relationship oriented. It's very global community. And um, if you want it badly enough and it holds your interest enough and you have, um, you know, just, I would, you know, I would just start out, start out in the hospitality business, start out in the restaurant business. And, and, or if you're an attorney and you want to become a sommelier or, you know, you've made some money because you probably will need it at that point to just continue on that road, take a pay cut, go, go work with a sommelier you respect or a beverage director you respect and, and see if they'll take you on maybe as an apprentice or uh, as an intern, you know, there are, there are ways to get in. Um, But the majority of people that I've seen who have really made a success of this are very hospitality driven. Um, They are extremely interested in wine and um, it's not just a, a half-assed thing. It is, excuse my language, it's extremely passionate. It's extremely, um, it takes a lot of study. It takes a lot of tasting and uh, getting certifications is a great way to move forward now as well. But you also need to learn the business, you know, in order to be successful, you need to learn how to, how a wine program is truly run get experience as far as that, how your never, numbers are driven. And the the, un, the, the, the un, unexciting things to some people, you know, the accounting behind the scenes. But um, I believe that if you want it badly enough, you can do it. I believe that too. I have a question. Just um, does every establishment or restaurant or hotel have a sommelier on staff? No, like, no, right? It's becoming it's becoming more it's becoming more common. Absolutely. But, uh, but no, it's not, um, you, it's not guaranteed that, uh, I mean, and um, at this point in a lot of ways as well, even though we were moving toward, uh, restaurants, having a sommelier on staff, it's now you have a wine director and or someone who has been, uh, a full-time sommelier and still can call themselves a sommelier because they are in service, but they're training their entire staff to be, empowered when it comes to wine recommendations because at the end of the day as much as we'd love the sommelier to be able to touch every table which you know we all try it's um it's not always possible um you know and there's not always money in the restaurants are very expensive to run you know leases are expensive the food cost is very low the beverage cost is generally low and i mean low in that the profit the profit profit isn't huge and then you know depending on how many covers you're doing, et cetera, and how you're building in your, your uh, business practice, it's, um, it, it can be cost prohibitive to have a full-time sommelier. So it's great to have a staff that's excited about wine as well and, and is getting into it. And more and more we see, you know, servers really knowledgeable about the wine list um, that they're representing. And it's almost harder to put together a small wine list but, um, you know, wine lists are generally getting smaller, uh, but, you know, with a lot of great selections. So within that small selection, which is, you know, um, starts becoming the, oh my God, how do I choose my favorites? It's too little. <laughs> I know. Uh, That's why we're so honored to have had you on the podcast, because we get to learn a little bit more about wine. I mean, obviously we love to, um, drink it but i i like the behind like the education behind the it. education mm-hmm. behind it that allows us just to make better decisions and and just know what we're intaking 
And I love that it's just like a global community, like you said, like you like how music brings people together, wine and good spirits brings everyone together too. So thank you for educating us on that. And thank you for your service you. in this um in your in your respective field and keep shining. Thank you so much. Where can everyone reach you? Like all of our listeners, what's your IG handle? Uh, I it's very simple. I am Amy Curran. So A M Y C U R R E N S, and that's my Instagram and Twitter. And I'm pretty transparent that way. Perfect. And if anybody wants to go to the, the hotel, Epic Hotel, yeah, the which Epic. is super fabulous, anybody outside of Miami that doesn't know about the Epic Hotel, whenever you're in town, that is the hotel to go to. Amy, you want to tell them where it's at? Yep, we are downtown Miami. We are at 270 Biscayne Bay Way. Uh, and it is um, a, uh, you can't miss it. It's right cool. on the water. Yeah. It's beautiful. Austin, all right on the water, overlooking the river. It's an overlooking brickle. We have a spectacular terrace. Uh, on the 16th floor. Amazing. It was such a pleasure talking to you. Yes, it was. We'll catch you at the Epic Hotel, Amy. We'll go We'll go check you out, have a little wine, a little Chablis and oysters. <laughs> I, I'm forward to seeing you in person. Of Thank course. Thank you so much. Thank you Thank so you much so for your much. time. Thank you everyone for listening. Keep keep sending us emails at girlsgoneboss at gmail.com or just directly hit us up on DM or wherever you follow us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks again. Bye. You're listening to Girls Gone Boss. Hosted by Alex and Gabby. I love you guys. Oh, yeah.